Mark, it's great to see you face to face. We're doing this live, we're not just doing it live. We are actually in Shoreditch, very close to Silicon Roundabout. So I feel a little bit of a tech vibe coming on. But you've come all the way from France today. So uh, great to see you in person. Yeah, thank you very much, Matthew. Yeah, I've actually been based in France for almost 15 years now. So I've got a French wife and it's been based down that way. And yeah, so it's great to be over in the city and, and amongst all the atmosphere. Now, I know you're a keen podcast listener. What are you learning from podcasts these days? So things like the Cloudcast were really useful when I was starting off. These days, it's more the industry podcasts. The Instech podcast, I find particularly useful to understand what customers are looking for, what the current trends are, and then also what our potential partners are doing and where we've got mutual customers and where there are possible synergies. And of course, you were on podcast episode 114 back in December 2020 when we were just coming out of COVID. We're going to be hearing about what's happened in the three years beyond that as we go forward. Hello and welcome. Matthew Grant here, back with another fact-filled and inspirational Founders podcast. Well, we are tracking the success of our podcast episodes carefully these days. Now, we can't tell who listens, but we do know how long you are listening for and When do you stop listening? More than 50% of our listeners are outside of the UK these days, and one third are in Americas. Well, people often ask, what makes a successful podcast? So I jotted down some reflections on five years in podcasting and quickly came up with over 150 tips and techniques that we've learned. More on those soon, but one of the biggest characteristics that define successful episodes is the stories people tell. And founder stories are amongst the most popular. And this week is no exception, as I'm back talking to Mark Farley, founder of Address Cloud, and with a company now three times the size it was when we last spoke, and with some major insurers as clients, we had a lot to talk about. Well, hang into the end to find out more about how you too can benefit from what we are doing at Instec. But in the meantime, everything we're up to, including our live events in London and in the US next year, available at www.instec.co. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe. A quick recap for those who want to know what you're up to address cloud. You're founded back in 2015 and you're providing geocoding and intelligence platform to enable insurance, financial services, and logistics services to identify and manage their exposure to geographic risks rooftop level. You personally were previously at an insurance, so RSA, building tools there. And like many of survivors, like for scale-ups, you yourself build a business around the challenges you had when you're working in the industry when you couldn't find the tools so you went off and built a company to build the tools and now you're selling those back to your previous employers and other insurers we're going to hear a bit more about that as well a high level three years since we last spoke what's been the main highlights for you we've gone from three staff up to 11 what remains our core service is our geocoding engine so that's all around finding out exactly where properties are and pinpointing them to rooftop level we extended that to look at peril risks, so the kind of things that keep insurers up at night. Is this property going to flood? Is it going to fall in the ground? Is it going to burn? And then more recently, we've been looking at property data. And so we built a fantastic set of property data attributes for UK residential and commercial properties. And right been, you know, right more recently, we have launched a new management platform. Well, we were delighted to work with you to launch your new platform, Address Cloud Risk. With a breakfast event, we had over 40 people turn up. Uh, in particular, I was very intrigued by what you're doing with Fireblocks, which I hadn't seen before, but mentioned on the day you had over 100 million Fireblocks globally. So it'd be good just to understand a little bit more about what are Fireblocks and uh, what are people doing with those? 
Yeah, thanks, Matthew. Insurers insure buildings. They're not insuring addresses. They're not insuring dots. They're insuring buildings. So what we've done is we've gathered open data sets from around the world, and there's some fantastic open data sets being launched just in the last year. Google have started providing open data blocks that have been derived from machine learning based upon their vast array of, of imagery around the world. Microsoft have also done the same. OpenStreetMap have been mapping the world for almost 20 years now. We're taking all of those data sets in and effectively simulating where fire might spread. Our default is to use a five meter buffer, but we can make that larger. And what that identifies are potential hotspots of risk. So where there are adjacent buildings, which potentially could cause an accumulation event, should an insurer have too much in one place. And that really, that concept of managing accumulation in a peril-specific manner, so fire is one example, is integral to our offering. If it's part of a trend we're seeing, which is people have been accessing data, providing that data to insurers, but you're part of a group of companies that are taking that data and then doing something with it and creating a new data set that is somewhat unique. So it sounds like that up until now, there wasn't a way of understanding what those accumulations were at the, at the building level. Yeah, that's correct. We've had this offering for the UK for a number of years, and we've used this for the purposes of modeling fire risk, looking at classifications and trades within a particular one of these blocks. Uh, example would be if you had a stationer that was in the same block as a fireworks factory, you would mark that whole thing as a potentially bad risk. When we ran this about five years ago for the UK, it would take about 24 hours for us to run that process. We can now do that for a country within 30 minutes. If we wanted to do this a few years ago, there wasn't the data available. Whereas now with all these open data initiatives, we're able to do this and do it globally. So you mentioned 100 million, that's effectively, we've done the top 500 cities globally. And then next year, we plan to do the whole world. And one of the highlights for that morning was hearing from Kalarin Shreve, who is CEO of Allied World International, I believe. I mean, she made one comment when she was talking about why they're working with you, which is they looked into this, saw a problem, initially thought there was no solution to it, came across address cloud, and they solved the problem they had. And then I spoke to her afterwards, and this is more specifically what she said about what she's doing with, with you. Carolyn, really enjoyed your presentation. A really interesting comment there about a problem you had that you didn't think you could solve, but you managed to get Address Cloud to help. Can you just explain a little bit about what you meant by that? Yeah, we had a problem that uh, Address Clouds helped us to solve. So we had a, an accumulation problem that we didn't think that we could find a tech solution for, and Address Cloud helped us to solve that. So great to have a client that is actually willing to stand up and talk about what they're doing with you. It's always a really strong endorsement. Can you talk a little bit more about what you're doing with Allied World and how you're helping them with this problem they thought they couldn't solve? Allied World have been fantastic. We were introduced through a mutual contact. They had been looking for some years. I think Karen said it's actually as long as five years ago, they've been looking for a solution to this particular problem, which is as an underwriter, so they have a great exposure management capability already within the business, as most insurers do. What they didn't have was that capability for underwriters. So Carolyn's the chief underwriting officer. She has a whole team of people around the world working for her. What they were missing was having that view in almost in real time for them to understand exactly where their hotspots were. So where are the hotspots within their existing book? And in particular, just immediately following an event, what their potential loss might be. And then really it was the fireblocks. It was demonstrating that concept that we mentioned earlier about fireblocks. When we showed that to Carolyn, that was the thing that they were really missing. And that's what they found with the dress cloud. The other thing I noticed just seeing how you've developed over the last few years, it looks like you're extending the services you're offering 
both upstream and, and downstream in, in the workflow. So you're now looking at pre-bind, so what happens before people decide to make a decision once they've written the business, and then you're even now looking at what happens when an event has happened. So again, it'd be helpful just to understand if you can bring that to life a bit with your description of the, what we would see if we saw the product or any other way that you think might help. Pre-bind is something that we've been focused on really since we started. So going back to 2015, and that's been largely around the problem of where's the property and what are the body associated peril risks and what the physical characteristics of the building. What we're really focused on now is understanding that the third question, which is what am I already exposed to within a vicinity of that event? Now, a lot of people have done that in the past with radii, and radii are fine. You can do a 200-meter radius or 500-meter radius. But again, unless the particular peril is something like a natural catastrophe event or a, a terrorism event, it's very unlikely that you're going to be infected and all your properties within a 200-meter radius will be affected. So what we're doing is bringing that back to the peril. And as I say, looking at a, through the lens of a fire block, looking through the lens of a flood accumulation and really bringing that down to a more localized view of risk and event. The idea then is that if you can avoid an expensive accumulation event before you can go uncover, that's a lot easier than having to deal with it through reinsurance and other mitigation downstream. But recognizing that not everything will get picked up for the post-bind scenario, we provide a visualization platform that would allow an underwriter to take a view of the world, and this can be millions of locations or policies, and very quickly start asking questions. Where are my hotspots? Where do I have too much in one place? Where do I have too much in a fire block? Where are my flood exposed locations? And being able to really drill down. The final capability there, as you mentioned, was post-event. This is something that we're working on currently. So that the tool as it stands at the moment in 2023, we have the ability to go in there and draw very quickly and, and do some fairly rudimentary drawings to understand where an event might happen. But we're actively looking to partner and seek real-time feeds of events, both pre- and post-event data, and providing that back to our customers so they can go in there, pick an event, a historic event, a current event, and be able to understand very quickly what their losses might be. We made our audience work quite hard for their bacon sandwich because we asked them some questions and we've actually got some really interesting results that came back from the polls we're running. So I was just going to remind you of what we asked and what we heard and then just get your response to us. The first question we asked people was how frequently do they update their view of their risk accumulations? And over half the room, 55% said monthly, which is very different than your real-time assessment. How do you react to that in terms of what you're seeing elsewhere? I'd say monthly is actually quite optimistic. So from what I've seen with most of the customers that we work with, it tends to be quarterly. Now, they often will have a monthly border row. So a lot of our commercial insurers that we work with are delegating authority to MGAs and to cover holders. Those cover holders have to report monthly typically what, what it is that they're actually written. But often it's only the cap modeling process that runs quarterly that brings all of that together. So again, we're not looking to necessarily completely change that. We understand that, that there are constraints and it does take time to get the data together. What we want to provide is a capability where we can take that quarterly or monthly roll-up, but augment that with potentially a daily or even a real-time API feed. So Nirvana for us would be when the insurer goes on cover, we get a message to say that policy's just been written, the locations appear in the map. And so then if 10 minutes later, somebody wants to go and quote within the same building, we're able to flag that up as a potential accumulation risk. And, and you mentioned Bordero in there. For those that don't know, Bordero essentially is usually a spreadsheet these days, a basically a summary of the risks that have been written over a certain period. And that's what's 
being exchanged between the typically the MGAs and their capacity providers. And then the other second question we asked was, after an event, how long does it take an insurance company to understand what the potential losses are? And so half the people in the room, so 50% said they actually could understand their losses in 72 hours, which is about a six days or, or a week. That's pretty good, actually. I mean, that's I guess that's around what we would expect, some potentially longer. And actually looking a bit further down, I think there were 11% that were longer than a month. I think 6% didn't even understand at all. What this is really around is providing a early warning and an early understanding of what the potential loss might be. Obviously, senior execs get extremely nervous following an event. So for someone like a chief underwriting officer, being able to say, we think we're okay at that level, that's the kind of thing that we're looking for. And we'd want to provide that within 24 hours. Mark, I want to switch a little bit to the technology now. So big question that all insurers are asking now is, okay, you're a company, you've been going eight years, you've got lots of great tech. I'm an incumbent, I've got a big legacy system. How do we connect what you're doing with our systems as an insurer? Yeah, so we've always been API first from the outset. And I guess that does differentiates us from some of the people that we other see in the market where they've built a really amazing visualization and then thought about afterwards, well, how do I API enable that? Still, the vast majority of our traffic comes via API. We do about 80 million transactions a month through our APIs. And again, insurers will often integrate us into their systems or even in their cover holder or their MGA system. So commercial capacity provider that are working with us, the same view that they have for their internal underwriting is available through their cover holders as well. That said, we do recognize that sometimes people need to look at a map. So we have we have two great mapping tools. They're often used for more complex cases, so complex commercial, high net worth, where the underwriter can go in there, bring up that screen and, and actually see, all right, I can see, well, it is a flood risk, but it's right on the edge. You know what? It's fine. I'm going to go ahead and write that anyway. Actually, embedding that API into an organization systems can be quite complex and can require quite a lengthy integration project. So going forward, we're looking to develop partnerships, turnkey integrations with with policy admin platform providers and with underwriting workbenches so that our services are available where our customers are working. And Mark, partnerships are being increasingly talked about these days. You know, the disruptors loss, collaboration wins. It'd be great to hear just what is your approach strategically to partnerships because that is quite a big commitment if you're going to do that properly. Yeah, so I guess our partners fall into two camps. We have our, our data partners and then we have our integrators or strategic integrators. On the data side, those of our data partnerships have been absolutely key since the outset. So fundamentally, we provide a, a platform of services that are underpinned by data. And we actively decided, again, given that we are a small organization, we, we can't do everything. So right back on day one, we decided to partner with good data providers rather than creating our own. What we do, we work with people like the Ordnance Survey, JBA, Ambiental, who now rebranded as Twin and various other different data providers, commercial data providers. And then we then augment that data with open data. So we're taking things from the environment agency. And then as we expand internationally, looking at more global data sets than people like the USGS, NOAA, and various other different organizations, we take that data and we curate it. We add value onto it and then we load that into our services. So that's really, really important, making sure that data is good so you can stand by it because ultimately insurers are using that to make decisions. On the integration side, we work at the moment with a number of organizations. So other InsTech members would include people like Send, Cytora, and Hyper Exponential, who we have some API integrations with at the moment. 
we're looking to deepen those partnerships. So actually making that a kind of a potentially even a two-way feed of information. So for someone, for example, who were placing their business and, and using the SEND platform to manage their policies, the point at which they issued that policy, we would really be great if that policy would then be transferred into our system and then we can then provide information back through the new accumulation platform. The question then for me is when you're building the business and you came in, you had a coding experience and you knew a bit about tech, but how do you as a, the CEO, how do you identify which technology to use and as importantly, how do you hire your CTO that you know is going to give you good advice and take you down, the, take you in the right direction? When it started, it was me. I was making quite a lot of these tech calls on my own, listening to podcasts and seeing what other people were doing and some of the emerging tech. Thomas Holdness, our, our CTO, we met in 2018 at a, at a conference in South Korea, of all places, geeking out over some drones. I managed to convince Tom to come and join us and he's been absolutely fantastic. One of the first things that Tom decided when he came on, we decided together, was that we were going to go for what's called serverless technology. Now, this was really new in 2008. Nobody was doing this. And I think we were probably one of the first people to do it in insurance. Effectively, what it means is instead of being able to manage boxes and having to scale servers up and down, what we do is we distill everything down to some a really simple function. We give that to Amazon and Amazon run that for us. And our customers can call that as many times as, as they want and it will just continue and it will scale seamlessly. So we don't have any boxes we have to worry about. That makes our all of our InfoSec things a lot easier. What it also means is when we take on a big customer, which was the case a couple of years ago, we took Floodry on. I think we might be talking about that later. Floodry came, they started calling our services and we went from 10 million to 80 million transactions a month. And the nothing other than getting a slightly bigger bill, everything just worked. And so that was really, really fundamental from the outset. Yeah, that's just a really helpful way of explaining some of the benefits of cloud. And then InfoSec is information security, I'm, I'm guessing, so people harder to hack in and break the system. As we've grown and we start working with bigger customers, customers are becoming a lot wiser, a lot smarter with the cyber threats and some of the kind of bad things that are happening in around the world. Our customers we've seen and their IT departments being very, very stringent around the kind of businesses they want to work with. So for us, that means we have to have ISO certification 27001, have to keep that up to date. And there's a lot of administration and uh, and processes we have to go through to make sure customers, particularly when you're dealing with the government, as is the case for us and Flood Re, that actually everything's squeaky clean when it comes to information security. And then just staying with this technology theme for a bit. So someone today who wants to go and set up a company, what's your recommendation to them about how much they need to understand about coding, what they should do themselves, who they should go and partner with externally? You know, how would you sort of set somebody in the right direction now? It's a steep learning curve, uh, and there are so many choices out there to be made. One thing that we've done, a lesson learned from us, would be keep a narrow scope. So don't try and do everything. Just keep things really, really narrow. Try and avoid huge amounts of customization. So just keep a single code base and protect that by all means. Often a customer will come to you and say, can you do this? And it's very, very tempting early on to say yes to everything. If that means your product starts diverging and going and, and evolving into something you didn't want it to be at the outset, then actually it's probably better to say no and make sure you keep that pure and keep that use case completely pure. And again, I definitely recommend serverless. I mean, that's not just something that's specific to AWS, that there are a range of cloud computing providers offering these kind of concepts, function as a service. Google do it, Azure do it, and, and Amazon do it. That's been absolutely fundamental for us. 
And that point about focusing on on one thing, I'm sure you're familiar with the book, but the Lean Startup by Eric Ries is is very, very helpful in understanding the difference, as he did in him when he was building a product. You don't go and build all the features in there and hope someone does something with it. Focus on the thing that you really are going to offer to people and be very disciplined about what you focus on. And then, yes, so clients, so you mentioned... Floodry, I see you were also uh, working, with, obviously, with Brit, who you, where you worked with before, Axis, MS Amelin, Amtrust. Any other ones we've, we've missed from that list? And anyone do you want to call out specifically as good examples of what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned some of the big commercial insurers who we work with, and I guess that's kind of three very large customers who are all very different. Compare the market we've been working with now for coming up for three years, and we actually underpin their home insurance quotation journey. So if you go and compare the market... To look at the Ordnance Survey and the ONS and various other different sources, that's actually coming to us and then we're pre-filling the quotation forms. And that's been a fantastic win for them. They've been able to reduce their quotation time significantly and improve their customer adoption rates. Lemonade, we've been working with now, a similar use case, but somewhat different, kind of taking it to that next level, taking it to what they call a no-fill solution, which is, where's my address? Here's the price. And again, to be able to do that, having really high quality data that you can trust provided to you by your partner is, is absolutely uh, key to that. And then Floodry that we mentioned earlier as well. So for Floodry, we operate what they call the Property Data Hub. That it basically is a system that tells all of the insurers participating in that scheme whether or not a particular property is eligible. And so we're now live linked in via API to most of the top insurers in the UK and they're hitting us on every quote. So that explains those big volumes that I mentioned earlier. Congratulations on Floodry, because for those that aren't familiar with Floodry, they are essentially the, the government-backed insurer for flood loss in the UK for homeowners or excluding certain properties such as those built in floodplains. But that's, A, a very prestigious client to work with. But to your latter point there, it means that every insurer that's writing flood is actually having an address cloud experience, even if they don't know they're working with you. So it gives you an excellent sort of starting point to then go and expand in, into them. And then we've talked about tech, but of course, being able to survive is also about the people. And I came across a statistic recently that there's the companies that have, and this has mainly been funded, but since 2015 in the insurance or short tech space, one third of those have failed. And there's lots of reasons why you can fail, but certainly getting in good people is, is one of the reasons people succeed or conversely fail. Uh, I see you were awarded one of the best places to work. Congratulations on getting that. There are many awards out there I'm not familiar with that one, but can you tell me a little bit about what it is you've been doing with your people that you've been given that that award? Yeah, thanks, Matthew. I 100% agree. For us, really, our people are the business. Without our people, we'd be nothing. And we've been very lucky over the years to be able to hire people. We've mainly been hiring people that we know and who we've admired who would be a fantastic fit for the company. So we've been very choosy around who we've brought on. The list that you've mentioned was a really nice surprise that kind of came through in the summer. It just completely blew me away. I had no idea that that was coming. Basically, what we'd done, one of our KPIs was around measuring our customer satisfaction, but we'd never measured employee satisfaction. So we thought, well, what's the best place to do that? We've seen a few organizations in the InsurTech space using the Great Places to Work organization, who are a US-based company who also have presence around the world in different countries. What they do effective is they poll all of your staff for, with a comprehensive poll around, are they happy in certain areas? Off the back of that, you get a badge to say you're certified. And then what they'll then do is once a year, they run polls within industries to look at who really were the top 100 or the top 50 or, or whatever. 
we actually made the top 100 list in a small tech companies in the UK, which was great. And then it was even better when they announced that we actually made the top five and we got a special mention. So it was a really nice, for me, it's more, that's a more important award than any of the insurance awards that we won. I think it was really, really satisfying. Yeah, it's hard to, hard to fake that and you can't buy a table at an award and, and get, get <laughs> no, on the exactly. listing. But anything that stood out particularly that they gave you the award for that you've been doing to look after your people? Yeah, so again, scaling from three people, the last time we spoke to what we are now, 11 people, so we've got 10 permanent employees and a, and a contractor who we work with. That's quite a big scaling point for a small organisation. You have to start having policies. So we had a our designer, Ilaria, joined us in 2021 and fell pregnant fairly shortly after. And I was like, fantastic, this is great. Right now we need a maternity policy. Mm. How do we do one of those? So we had to kind of go off. And I think the policy we've put in place, again, when you create a business, it's making sure it's the company you'd like to work for yourself. So having really good maternity and paternity policies that we've, that we've now tried and tested. We've put in place a nursery scheme. So even though we're a distributed company, there's a great scheme that you can put in place that helps some of our more our younger staff who've got young families offset the cost of childcare by taking that as a salary sacrifice. That makes a huge difference for, our, for some of our staff. We get everyone together. Nobody trying to get together face-to-face once a quarter. We're all off, to, all off to Barcelona next week for because uh, we, we try and do it where one of the members of the team of the team are, and they're normally responsible for logistics and, and taking us out and doing all the sightseeing. So next week we're off to Barcelona. Well, you're trumping what we're doing. We're taking our team off the oyster shed by the side of the Thames. <laughs> so next year we'll have to go a bit more exotic, I think. But no, that's that's tremendous, Mark. And then it sort of does link into my next question, which is we've really valued your support as a member back in 2020. You're a very small organisation. You made an investment in us. We all know how difficult it is when you're building a business and you weren't funded either. So it's kind of your own money. Hopefully you've been looking after you because you're still with us. What is it about what we're doing that you know, it means you're still spending with money with us versus other things or other ways you could spend it? Yeah, as I say, we don't spend much on marketing or advertising. We pick very carefully where we spend. As I say, we have got limited funds and we, we want to choose those very carefully and wisely. And we think Instech's been a great investment for us. The live events and the recorded, but the uh, online events have, have been great, been fortunate enough to participate in some of those and and we've had really good conversations off the back of those the breakfast event that we did together a couple of weeks ago has been really good it's again a lot of our sales in the past have been through recommendation through word of mouth and through our own network but there's only so far that goes until you actually need to go beyond that so instec have been really helpful in engaging us with customers we wouldn't be able to speak otherwise as well as finding out through the podcast all the latest trends and tech and, and what's happening in the industry no well, thank you and actually we are already using address cloud as an example of how to put on a great event because yeah the the, the engagement and commitment from you and your team in terms of making the event a success and even you know, coming to take a look at the venue and inviting carolyn along means that it is a really good event and you know we can work on it together but it's always much more successful than when whoever we're doing it with really does feel they own the success of it so thank you very much hopefully you know we're doing more things together in the future and actually your point about digital events it's interesting to see people have got a little bit fatigued with covid but we're seeing a real pickup now in in digital events as a way of of actually learning what's going on and sort of starting to get some more hybrid versions where you can start to literally do a demo with a conversation on it, take us on a podcast with a demo, or and we're also starting to see you know, some of taking some of the live events and turning them into digital. So, I think all of us, you know, we're all 
as consumers and also running businesses, trying to find ways to engage people and communicate better and differently. And it's, you know, it's been fun working with you on that as well. And particularly given that you yourselves are building tools to communicate to insurers, I'm sure we'll find some more creative ways to do that going forward. And then where should people go to learn more about the topics we've been hearing about and how to get hold of you or some of the colleagues? I've spent the last five years apologising for our website, but I've, we've actually just changed that and we've now put a, a completely new website live. So you can go on to addresscloud.com and uh, find out everything about what we're doing, all of the various different services. And we offer clients we're working with, data sets that we, that we provide. And on that as well, there's quite a dynamic component. We blog in normally once or twice a month and you'll see those both on our website and through LinkedIn. And then finally, a little peek towards the future. Hopefully it's not three years before we talk again. What should people be expecting to hear about as we uh, we come back and review the year, say this time next year? Yes. Yeah, so with the new accumulation management solution that we're providing, that's actually a global, that's our first foray outside of the UK and Ireland. And, and it's truly, it's a global platform that's helping with, as mentioned earlier, understanding where the hotspots are. Underpinning that, we're looking to expand and we're actively expanding our, our geocoding capability. So how can we train a geocoder to understand addresses in other countries? It took me pretty much on my own about two, three years to get our UK version working. We think that with some of the new opportunities offered by machine learning, we can teach a model to understand what a bad address looks like in any country and be able to fix that. And then alongside that, we're looking to scale using the global property database that I mentioned earlier in the building, specifically the building outlines, working with partners like JBA and, and Ambiental and some of the other data providers who've got global data sets, expanding that capability globally as well. So it's, I guess, Europe in the next six months and then the globe beyond that. That's the plan. Yeah, well, there's certainly no shortage of demand. We're hearing a lot from insurers asking for more and more in the space. So I'm sure you'll find more clients and be doing more with your existing clients. And Mark, thank you very much for coming across today from Nice to join us. It's been really great to catch up face-to-face. As always, always learn a lot when I speak to you. And uh, I look forward to yeah, our next chance to catch up and hear how it's all going. You're very welcome, Matthew. Thank you for the support as always. Addressed Cloud Risk provides underwriters and portfolio managers with a real-time view of exposure to avoid expensive accumulation issues even before going on cover. The platform integrates into policy admin systems or underwriting workbenches to provide a view of exposure by location, perils, events, and Address Cloud's global fire block database. You can learn more about Risk and Address Cloud at instec.addresscloud.com. Well, it's great to see the success Address Cloud has had and to have been with them on their journey. Now, whether you're working at Insurer, a large technology company, or a growing scale-up, Instec can help you tell your stories and meet your partners. Contact any of us, hello at instec.co, or me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn to learn more. Or just take a look at www.instec.co to see what you're missing. That's it. We're done.